progress. All right, so we're up to the Gemara in the end of Chazayin Amid Beis. The last thing was, the Mishnah said that Rav Zechariah ben Akotzev, Rav Zechariah ben Akotzev was a Kayan who lived during the times of the Churban. And he said that he swore that he was by his wife the entire time, so she was never violated by the incoming uh, Romans. And the Mishnah said, he's not Nemon because... A husband can't testify about the wife. It's not good enough. They're too close. And therefore, that's not, uh, they're not allowed to be together. So the Gemara says like this, Tana, the Braisa adds, Aval Pekin, even though Rav Zechariah ben Akotza was not allowed to live with his wife, because we assume that there's a possibility that she's no longer kosher for the Kayin, he was allowed to keep her, to have her have her own apartment, meaning... As we're going to see in a moment, this is not something that we generally allow, but because this is a concern of ours, it's not like we know that she was with a guy. It's only a concern. We're going to allow them to stay married. She could have her own apartment. They just can't be intimate, and they can't have yichud. They're not allowed to seclude with each other. But as long as she has her own apartment, and there's always people there, there's always kids, whatever, then they allow Rabbi Zechari ben Akotzev to not have to divorce his wife. Okay, so the Gemara says, Yichol right? He was allowed to set up a house for her in his courtyard. And when all the people would leave the house, she would leave first, because she didn't want to leave last, because then there would be a chance of Yichod between her and Rabbi Zachary ben Akatsev. And when she enters the house, she enters the house last, meaning she never wants to be alone with Zechariah. But they allowed her to stay with her husband. They don't have to get divorced. So the Gemara says, Can a Kayan do this with his divorcee? Meaning, let's say a Kayan divorces his wife. Right? So can he say, listen, I, I, I had to divorce her, right, because the, the marriage is over. But... Can we still stay in the same courtyard? I'll make sure not to have yichud. I still like her company. So can we, or do we say no? So the Gemara says the kash is like this. Hasam who hikilu. Is this a special leniency? Right, because the truth is, it's not a good idea to have a couple that you're not allowed to be intimate with each other still live in the same courtyard, still interact all the time. It's not a good idea. So we were makel with a shvuya. We were makel in a case of captivity, or this with the uh, with the with the soldiers that came into this town of Eretz Yisrael. Is it a dafka leniency that extends to this case regarding captivity because we're not confident that she lived with a guy? It's just a concern, and because it's just a concern, it's not necessarily aser. So therefore, chazal are going to be lenient. But in the case of a divorcee, it would not be permissible to live in the same courtyard because we would be concerned that they would be intimate with each other. Perhaps no, we're not concerned. We allow adults, we trust adults. So the question is, is it extended to divorce as well? So Toshima, the Brisa says pretty clearly it is not allowed by divorce. The Brisa says like this, the Tanya HaMegarish HaSishtoi, if one divorces his wife, she should not remarry and live in the same neighborhood. Now, how this practically applies nowadays, I do not know. Um, because obviously nowadays we have this all the time where people get divorced and they stay in the same neighborhood. But Chazal were always afraid that if a woman remarries, right, and she's in the same neighborhood as her first husband, they have certain gestures, they have certain inside jokes, 
that they might wink to each other, they might, you know, give a look, and it could lead to intimacy. So Chazal made it that after you divorce a wife and she remarries, this is not a Kayan, this is standard Yisrael, after you divorce a wife and she remarries, she should, uh, she should move, basically. You should not stay in the same neighborhood. Again, practical halacha, I, I don't know. But the Gemara says, She should not remarry and stay in the same neighborhood. Go to the next page, And if the husband is a Kayan, then even before she remarries, she has to move. Because you can't stay in the same neighborhood because she's a divorcee and a kohen is not allowed to be with a divorcee. They're not allowed to stay in the same mavoi. Mavoi is like the same community drive. Meaning maybe the same neighborhood is allowed, but they're not allowed to stay in the same um, same block. And if it was a small village, a small village is like a neighborhood and she has to move. Okay. Again, the practical halacha, the size of the neighborhood, I, I'm not getting into that. But what you do see from here is that this heter of staying in the same courtyard with a woman, like Zechari ben Akotzev, that was a heter specifically for a woman who was taken captive or a pilgriming army came into the town. But a divorcee, we do not say, a kayin cannot divorce his wife and say, yeah, but we're going to stay in the same, you know, it's one of those like really awkward situations. They're going to divorce a wife, but we still have business together. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. We don't trust. So now the question is like this. Mi nidcha mi. Who has to move? <laughs> right? They can't stay in the same town. Somebody's got to move. Does the wife have to move or does the husband have to move? So, she has to move. He does not have to move. Now, I think the reason, besides, I'm not going to say, you know, uh, to say that it's um, like misogynistic in any way. I think the reason why we make the woman move is because the Gemara is going to explain in a little bit that it's harder for a man to wander than for a woman because there's a natural Rachmanis that people have. People are more welcoming to women. So if she moves to a neighborhood, it'll be easier for her to, to meet people. It'll be easier for her to, to have friends. It's just naturally people are more Rachman, have more Rachmanis. They'll invite her for Shabbos for men. So I think the Chazal are more inclined to make her move than him because it would be harder for him to have to move to a new location because men are not as friendly. I, I think that's the reason. But the point is that halachically she has to move. But if she owns the house, who if she owns the house, listen, like if they're both renting, if they were renting, so they get divorced, then she has to move. Again, practical halach, I have no idea, but, but she has to move. But if she owns the house that they were living in, no one would say that she has to sell the house, then he has to move. Okay. What if they both own the house? Let's say they both owned the complex. It was a dual ownership. So now what? Do we say that because they both own it, she has to move? Or do we say, no, she says, I, I own it also. So you have to move. That's the question. So the Gemara says, well, Tashima. The Brisa says, he nitchas mifaneha. The Brisa teaches in the first clause that she has to move. Now, what's the case? If he owns the house, Right, the prices start off by saying that she has to move. So the question is, well, what's the case? Now, I told you it's a case of rental because that's where my brain goes and that's the conclusion of the Gemara. But the Gemara is not thinking about rentals. The Gemara is thinking about ownership. Now, who owns it? If he owns it, of course, of course she has to move. Well, you think that he has to sell his house and move? Of course not. 
And if she owns it, then why does she have to move? So it must be, what's the case? It must be the cases where they both own it. And you see she has to move. Oh, so that's the ride. The Gemara is going to reject it, that perhaps it's a case of rental and nobody owns it. Okay. So the Gemara is trying to figure out. Again, Tashima, the Braises says, he now she has to move. Now we assume somebody owns it. Now, who owns it? If he owns the house, Pshita, of course she has to move. We're not going to make him sell his house. It must be she owns it. I I thought if she owns it, she doesn't have to move. So what's the case that she has to move? It must be a case where they both own the house. So Gemara says, no, perhaps when they both own the house, he has to move. What's the case where she has to move? The case is where they're both renting houses. So nobody owns it either way. So because they're both renting, then the halacha is she has to move. But it could be if they both own it, she doesn't have to move. We're not sure. Now, my Havela, what's the conclusion? Does she have to move or does he have to move? There's no conclus- conclusive proof from the Brysis. The Gemara says, Tashima. The Brysa says, this is a Pasuk in Yeshaya. The Pasuk in Yeshaya is giving a curse regarding the Churban. It says, Hine Hashem Hashem will cause Klal Yisrael to wander like the wandering of a man. Meaning, It's harder for a man to move than for a woman to move. Because I think the reason is, Again, they, they, Rashi doesn't really give a reason, but I think the reason is people have more Rachmanis. First of all, men have to have, you, you have to have a shul and you have to have it. it it's already built in that you have to like, you know, it's harder to move Bechlal just practically. But but even more than that, I, I think it's because women uh, are more Rachmanis on each other and they're, and they're more friendly to a, a woman who's wandering than for a man who's wandering. So because it's harder, harder for a man to wander, then the halacha is that she has to move. Okay. Some halachas regarding a kayan. Again, practical halacha, I have no idea. But some halachas regarding a kayan. Again, we don't trust a kayan who divorces his wife to be together. Because um, there's no heter for them to remarry. Um, it's a yetzahara and we don't trust them. So the halacha is, If while they were married, the kayan borrowed money from the wife's father's estate. Right? While they're married... The, let's say the husband took out a loan from the wife's father, or the wife's, you know, ancestral uh, uh, ancestral estate. So, basically, the Kayan owes his wife money. So, after the divorce, she wants the money. So, the halacha is, She cannot go to court with him alone. Meaning, we will not just have them two show up to court. They can't just interact with each other. You need like a, like a, like a, like a shimer. We need a shimer there at all times. We don't want them, you know, having a coffee date to, sh- to, sh- to schmooze about the money. No, no, no. You need a shaymer there at all times. And if a kayan and his divorced wife show up without a shaymer, we don't, we, don't we don't have to take on the case. Meaning, if they break that halach and they just show up and say, well, we'd like to discuss the case, the bezdin can say, no, you were not supposed to show up here without a shaymer and we're not going to talk to you. More than that, Rav Papa Amar Mishamtinale, we excommunicate them. And more than that, Rav Huda Bidavishomar Nagurin Abagunale, we give them lashes. So we want no interaction. They need to have a shaima there at all times. Okay? Amr of Nachman, Tanabe Evil Rabasi. In Evil Rabasi, the Braisa, it adds, Bamedvarmur, when is it true that they need a shaima there? It's Bishan is Garshaman and Asuan. It's if they got divorced after a full marriage. 
Meaning when they were fully married together and had relations with each other and were close to each other, and then they got divorced, we don't trust them. But if let's say they got divorced after Erisin, meaning they just did Kedushin and then got divorced, so they were never with each other, then the halacha is, You don't need a Shimer because they don't know each other. I mean, the reason why you need a Shimer is because we're afraid if they're interacting, they'll uh, give hand gestures, they'll wink, they'll remind themselves of the good times, blah, blah, blah. But if they got divorced after Kedushin, they never had any of those memories or any of those, you know, good times. They never were together. So because they were never together, we trust them more. Okay. So if they just had Kedushin, they're allowed to interact with each other and we don't have a problem. Now here's the problem. The Gemara says, There was a Kayan and his divorced wife and they got divorced after Kedushin and they came in front of Rava for a monetary case, whatever it was. Rava decided that he wanted to appoint um, Rav Adabar Masna as the Shoimer. Rava said, I'm only interacting with them if they have a shimer. Now, this is a case where they got divorced after Kedushin, which we just got finished saying they don't need a shimer, but Rava appointed them a shimer. So the Gemara says, I, Rav Nachim, They said to Rava, I thought you don't need a shimer after Kedushin because they're not close enough with each other that there's a concern. So the Gemara says, Amr Rava said, I saw the way they were interacting, and they were not interacting like a normal couple after Kedushin. Meaning, normally, after Kedushin, alone, they're not very close with each other. They're not comfortable with each other. But Rava noticed that they were giggling and laughing and, and acting in a way that wasn't normal. So he pointed a Shimer. It was a, an exception to the case. Some have a different version. Some have a different version that Rava did not appoint a Shimer. And Amrle Ravadam Masna Nikimar Shlukhov and Simon Ravadamar Masna was the one who wanted a Shimer. Amrle, so Rava said to him, Amr of Nachme Rabasi, I thought you don't need a Shimer when they get divorced after Kedushin. And Amrle Ravada said to Rava, Hani Mili Hikatla Gais Badadi, Bahokazin the Gais Badadi. Ravada Barmasa said to him, Yeah, but in this case I see the way they're interacting and they're act- interacting in a way that is too comfortable and therefore we- they need a Shimer. Okay. New Mishnah. Now, the halach is like this. This Mishnah will take us to the end of the parak. The Mishnah is discussing as follows. In general, for a person to testify, you have to have been an adult when the thing took place. Meaning, if you're testifying about a loan, you can't testify, even as an adult now, you can't testify that the loan took place when you were nine years old. Because to be an aide, you had to have been a kosher aide at the time, which includes being an adult. So in general, we do not accept testimony where the testimony says the thing took place when I was a child. However, there are a certain exceptions. There are five or six exceptions that we will accept testimony of an adult where he says this took place when I was a child. I think five or six. The Mishnah is going to list each one, and the Gemara is going to explain why we're lenient. Okay, let's go through. These following testimonies are acceptable if the person is an adult now, even though they were a child when they were testifying about. Let's go through each one. First one, a person is trusted to say, right, we had this earlier, that they would certify a document, right, to make sure that the testimony, that the edus is correct, that it was signed properly, 
they would certify documents. So the first one is A person is able to say, they're able to testify, that when I was 10 years old, this document was signed by my father. Or this, when I was 10 years old, I remember this was signed by my Rebbe. So they're certifying the document now as an adult, but they're saying that it was signed when they were a child. Not that they were Adam when it was a child, that they couldn't sign when they were a child, because that would be Apostle Star. But it was their father's signature, and they remember it. It happened to take place when they were 10 years old, or that's their Rebbe's signature. It happened to take place when they were 10 years old. But they're testifying now, and we accept it. Now, I'm just going to spoil this entire mission. I'm just going to tell you what the Gemara is going to say. The reason why we're lenient is because uh, certifying a document is a rabbinic requirement. Biblically, you could accept a document that comes in front of you. This whole concept of certifying a document is only rabbinic, so because it's only rabbinic, we'll accept the Chazal were more lenient. Especially because they wanted to um, incentivize loans, and they wanted to make it easy to collect the loan. So that was also a motivation. Or Zek Shalachi, or the third case is a person says as an adult that I remember this was signed by my brother. So the three cases of the first category is you're testifying as an adult that this document was signed when you were a child by either your father, your Rebbe, or your brother. Okay, the Gemara is going to go through why you need all three. Second halacha. Zachar ha'yisi If you remember, if there was an argument between a husband and wife, when they're getting divorced, whether she was a b'sula at the time of the marriage, she claims she was a b'sula and her document, her ksuba is 200, he claims that she was not a b'sula and her ksuba is only 100, so they would ask for witnesses to testify whether she went out with a hinuma, hinuma is either a veil or a special uh, chair, that they would use dafka when they were b'sulas. So if a person can testify as an adult that he remembers her having this you know, s- s- signal of being a basula, even though he's testifying that it, the wedding took place when he was a child. We accept that testimony, and to spoil it, the Gemara is going to say the reason why we accept this testimony is because most women that get married are basulas. So because he's just backing up Rive, he's backing up the statistical Rive, we will accept it. Third case. A person can say, I remember my friend leaving school when he was a kid, and I was a kid. They would dip him in the mikvah and he would eat truma. And that's a way to testify that he's a kayan. Now, the reason why we accept this is the Gemara is going to explain, this is talking about rabbinic truma, meaning he wants to eat rabbinic truma. We're not sure whether he's a kayin, so a person can testify, say, listen, I remember I was with school with him when we were in uh, fifth grade, and his father came, picked him up, brought him into the mikvah, took him into the mikvah, and he ate truma. I remember this. So because it's only rabbinic truma that we're allowing, we're going to be lenient. If, the, if you wanted to eat biblical truma, we would not be lenient. Vaidir, and that we would divide truma with him at the granary. Okay, we'll go through it again. This area is called a Beis Anyone who's learned Brachis, which I know we've learned many, many times, Brachis, I think it's Daf Yudtes Summit Beis, if I'm not mistaken, describes what a Beis was. A Beis was a field that had a grave in it 
that got plowed over. So the entire field is rabbinically concerned, we're rabbinically concerned that every inch of the, of the field, so there's, a, there's a grave in the middle, but because they plowed over it, we're afraid some of the bone fragments flew away. So the entire field is called a Beis HaPras. A Beis HaPras. It's a rabbinic type of Toma. So, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so he says, so let's say there were two fields. And, and everyone assumed both are a Beis HaPras. This person can testify, he could say, listen, I was there as a kid when they plowed over the field. I remember it was just field A. It wasn't field B. And because this is dealing with a rabbinic, uh, rabbinic doubt, we're going to be lenient. And one more is, Ad Kan Hayu Boin Let's say there's a Shiloh of how far the Tchum is. On Shabbos, a person can testify... This is the area where we would stop walking. This is the area of the Tchum. And this is because it follows the view that Tchumin are Dirabonim. But a person is not trusted to say, so and so had a path through this field. Meaning, let's say, I claim to have a path in your field, that you once gave me a path, so I have rights to your field. A kid can't say, as an adult, that he remembers this taking place when he was a child, because now you're trying to take money from the guy. You're trying to take part of his field away. You don't have the right to do that based on the testimony of a child. Or or a person allocated part of his field to allow eulogies to take place. Again, it's basically the person is trying to take some of the guy's field away. You're not. We don't accept the testimony of a child to take someone's field away. Okay, that's the end of the Mishnah. Now we're going to go through... Um, a lot of the stuff that I mentioned, we're just going to run through. Says the Gemara, the first thing was that a person is able to testify as an adult that as a child, the document was signed by his father, his brother, or his Rebbe. Now the Gemara just clarifies, He needs another aid with him, meaning he is only a single witness. He needs to have an adult witness with him because you need two witnesses to certify a document. Okay. Now, the Mishnah listed three cases. One is where he's testifying that as a child it was signed by his father, his brother, and his Rebbe. Why do you need all three? Why do you have to list his father, his Rebbe, and his brother? The Gemara says, this is why it's necessary. All it said was that it was signed by his father. I would say, I would say, yeah, we trust that it was signed by his father because he was by his father all the time. A kid is always by his father. So it's more likely that he's telling the truth. Rabbi, by his Rebbe, not every 10-year-old is by his Rebbe when his Rebbe signs document. Maybe loy, maybe we don't trust him. And if he only said that he was there, if we only accepted the testimony that he was there when his Rebbe send, signed it, I would say, yeah, because a child has a fear of his Rebbe, so he's not going to he's going to make sure that what he's telling is the truth because he's naturally afraid of his Rebbe. But a father where there's not as great of a fear, maybe he's not telling the truth and maybe he's not remembering it as well because he's not as afraid, so it's not as imprinted in his mind. And if the Mishnah listed a father and Rebbe, I would say, I would say, yeah, we accept those because each one has a component that's more likely that he's telling the truth. The father, because he's always present by the father, and the Rebbe, because he has fear of the Rebbe, so he made sure to remember it properly. But a brother, but a brother has neither. It has neither the fact that you're present by the brother all the time, and you're not afraid of the brother. Maybe we shouldn't believe him 
Kamash Malon, Kivan, Dekim, Shtardis, the Rabbonah, Him, Nur Rabbonah, Kedar Rabbonah. The answer is no. We have all these three cases to teach you that because authenticating a document is only a rabbinic requirement, Chazal were lenient on the testimony of a child. Okay, the next one is that he's able to testify as an adult that he remembers as a child. She got married and she had a hinuma, so she was a basula, and now she heard ksubas 200. My time, why do we believe him? The answer is Kivan the Reb Nashim, basulas nesis kila milsa ba'alma. Because the majority of women get married as a basula, what he's saying is just revealing the Reb. He's not creating a new reality, he's just um, saying that she was part of Reb. Okay? Shaya ishploi niyotz meis hasef elitzvalecha betshuma. The next one is that he's able to say that this person was left school as a kid and went out and ate truma, so he must be a kayin. So the Gemara says, I avid kayin hu. Why are you accepting to tell him that he's, why are we accepting the testimony that he's a kayin, that he could eat truma? Maybe he's a slave. Slaves are also able to eat truma. So maybe he was never a real kayin. Maybe he was a slave of a kayin. So how does the testimony prove that he's a kayin? Maybe he was a slave. The answer is This follows a Rishum and Levi. It's funny, it's a different gears. I think I had a different gears in a different Gemara last night. Um, this follows the view of Rabbi Shuman Levi. Yeah, this follows the view of Rabbi Shuman Levi that he held that it's, you're not allowed to send your non-Jewish slave to Yeshiva. So therefore, the fact that he said that that the kid was taken from yeshiva, the fact that he said that he's taken from yeshiva must be that he's a kayin. It can't be a slave of a kayin. Even the slave of a kayin is allowed to eat truma because they would not, they held that you're not allowed to teach your non-Jewish slave Torah. We know you're not allowed to teach a non-Jew Torah. Rabbi Shubin Levi adds, you're not allowed to teach a non-Jewish slave Torah. You're not allowed to teach him in yeshiva. So therefore, the fact that this kid went to yeshiva must be he was not a slave. I, the law, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to have a non-Jew slave uh, learn Torah. But Tanya, the Brisa adds, rabbi. If a slave's master borrowed money from the slave, which is not common, or if the master appointed him, go to the next page, apotropis, uh, he appointed the slave as uh, in charge, a trustee on his on his money, or the non-Jewish slave wore tefillin in front of the rabbi, or he read three psukim from the Torah in shul, these are not acts of uh, of being free, meaning these these are not signs that the master set him free. The fact that the master borrowed money from him, even though you could say like that's that's like a sign of freedom. Nope, the fact that the master allowed him to wear tefillin in front of him, not a sign of freedom. All these are not a sign of freedom. But the point is, the last case is where he read three psukim from the Torah. So you see that he was learning Torah. So you see a non-Jewish slave could learn Torah. So the answer is Hasan Dikri Avmedaita. The answer is, yeah, we'll allow him to learn Torah on his own, but we're not going to send him to Yeshiva. To send him to Yeshiva, to treat him like a son, to send him to Yeshiva, that Rabbi Shum Levi feels is not allowed. Okay, then he's allowed to testify that a person went to the mikveh and ate truma, and now that he's a kind of truma, I, why do we accept that he's testifying about something that took place when he was a child? The answer is, we're allowing him to, to, to eat truma derabonon, not biblical truma, rabbinic truma. Okay. He's also able to testify that he received 
truma from the granary, and that's a sign that he's a kayan. So the Gemara says the same kasha. Dilma Eved Kayanu, maybe he's a non-Jewish slave. How do you know that he's a Kayan? Because he received Truma in the granary. Maybe he's a non-Jewish slave. The answer is Tanan Kamada Omar Aina Cholkin Truma Leved Alinkin Rabbi Imoy. The answer is this follows the Shita of Rav Yehuda. Rav Yehuda held, I'll just explain that we'll see it out. I'll say I'll say it outside, we'll see it inside. Rav Yehuda held that you're not allowed to give a not a, a Kayan slave truma in the granary unless this the master was present. Why? Because Rabbi Yehuda held that receiving truma is evidence that you have good ichus. And that would be enough to prove they have good yichus, meaning that if you live with that person, that that then that, that it's not a chalal and it's not pasal kahuna, it's not pasal pasal kahal, that good yichus was proven by the fact that you received truma. Therefore, in the Mishnah where it says that he testifies that he's a kain because he received truma, it's following the view of Rabbi Yehuda that they would not allow in Rabbi Yehuda's location to give to the slave truma not in the presence of the master. Because if you would give it to him not in the presence of the master, people would think that he's a kain and would elevate truma to yichus. Rabbi Yaisi wasn't concerned about this, but as we're going to see in a moment, Rabbi Yaisi held, we don't elevate from grain, from receiving truma as grain to yichus. Therefore, worst case scenario, what do people think? That he's able to eat truma? He's able to eat truma, either because he's a kayan or because he's a slave. But our Mishnah, which is elevating, which is testifying that he's a kayan based on the fact that he received grain, is following the Shita Rabbi Yehuda that they would not give grain to a slave on his own. The Gemara says, the Tanya, the Brisa teaches, the Brisa is referring to a case where you have a kayan and a slave of a kayan. The babies got swapped, so we don't know who's who. It's either a Suffolk Kayan or a Suffolk slave of a Kayan. So the halacha is, review this says, we never give truma to a slave unless the master is present because people are going to see that and going to elevate him to a full truma regarding Yichus. In this case, where you're not sure about whether he's a child or the slave of a Kayan, we will not give him truma at all. It not unless the the father or master is present. Rabbi Yaisi disagrees. He says no. You can give him truma manushach. He could say, listen, either I'm a kayan, in which case I get truma, or I'm the slave of a kayan, in which case I get truma. And Rabbi Yaisi was not concerned because in Rabbi Yaisi's location that they not they did not elevate from receiving truma to yichus. The Gemara says bim kayim shall Rabbi Yehuda hayim ayel mitzum liyochsen. In the location of Rav Yehuda, they would elevate, it was evidence, if you received truma, that was evidence that you had yichus. So therefore, they would have to make sure not to give the slaves alone truma. In Rav Yehuda's location, they wouldn't. So they would give the slaves, because there was no concern of it leading to bad things. So Tanya, Amr, Rav Allah, Rav Yehuda, Rav Allah, the son of Rav Yehuda, said, I only testified once in my life, I only testified once, and it was about someone who I thought was a Kayan, but it turns out he was a slave, and they actually made him a Kayan based on my testimony. My testimony messed things up, like Rav Yehuda's concerns. So the Gemara says in obvious Kasha, you think that his testimony actually caused halachic problems? Maybe would never let a Tzadik make a, uh, have a, have bad things become because of a Tzadik. So how could it be that because of his testimony, uh, they they made a, a slave a kayan? No way. So the Gemara says you're right. It means that had people not intervened, they would have. As we're going to see in a moment, based on his testimony, 
it was uh, it was leading to that, but they stopped it. What happened? Chaz Abasidar of Yosi, Rav Lazar observed Truma being distributed to this person in the location of Rav Yosi. Now again, the location of Yosi, they gave it to slaves as well because they did not elevate. But Azal is saw Abasidar of Yehuda. He testified about it in the location of Rav Yehuda. So in the location of Yehuda, that would be a good riot for him to be a kayin. So he, they, because of this confusion, they almost elevated him to be a kayin, but it was stopped. Okay, then the next thing the Mishnah says is that they testify about a place that it's a Beis HaPras, that there's a Suffolk Tumah in this location, and we believe him. So my time, well, what's the reason? Because Beis HaPras, they're Abona. This whole Tumah of a Beis HaPras is only Rabbinic, and because it's only Rabbinic, we'll accept this form of testimony. Dam Rav Yudam Shmuel, as Rav Yudam Shmuel says, the Beis HaPras The whole problem of a Beis HaPras is that that field, we're afraid that there are bone fragments on the surface. So if you blow with the base of pras as you walk, or you sweep as you walk, then it's fine, because you won't touch the bone fragments. That's a rabbinic form of Tumah. Similarly, once a base of pras is walked through very, very well, it's, it's you know, people walk through for a while, it's fine. The whole concern is that there are bone fragments. After a while, those bone fragments will be broken down by people walking, and therefore the Tumah will go away. Then the next thing the person could testify is that where the Tchum ends. Why? He follows the view of the Tanoim that the whole Tchum concept is only rabbinic, so because it's only rabbinic, we'll accept his testimony. But they're not accepted to testify that this person, when I was younger, gave part of his land to A to B, that, you know, that A's land, that A let... Uh, gave a portion of his land to be to use as a cut through. He's not able to testify why. We're not going to take money away from someone based on the testimony of a child. And in essence, that's what you're doing. You're saying that A allocated some of his field to B, so A is losing part of his field. We're not going to do that based on the testimony of a child. A child is trusted to say, meaning after he becomes an adult, he's able to say that as a child, my father told me when I was a kid, this family is Tahir, this family is Tameh. Now, what does it mean, Tahir and Tameh? So the Gemara says, Tahir or Tameh? So good what does it mean, Tahir? You can't have a family that's Tahir and a family that's Tameh. A family is not Tameh, they go to the mikvah, it's fine. What does it mean? Tameh means that there's a problem, there's a, a, a problem, and uh, you know, there's mamzerus there, whatever. So a person can testify as an adult that as a child he was told that this family has yichus problems. Now, I think it's a Shiloh of whether this is a Psul Kahuna, whether this is Mamzerus. Um, and then you have to figure out why we believe them when this is potentially involving biblical issues. Okay, we'll, we'll figure that out. Then the Gemara continues. A child is also testified to say, accepted to say, Shachanu b'ktsas that we ate the ketzatza distributed at the marriage of so-and-so. We're, I'll just spoil it. Ketzatza was that when two people got married that were not allowed to get married, let's say like an almana to a kayengadol or a grusha to a kayen, what they would do is some of the family members that were unhappy about the marriage would get up, distribute fruit, make a public display that we are not endorsing this marriage and we will not marry into them anymore because they're now puzzled. So this child can say, I remember partaking in that kitsatsa of A and B, which means A and B, when they got married, there was a problem with the marriage. I remember that, and we accept it. 
We'll get to that in a second. Uh, they asked my boy the Acher, and he's only trusted. I'm, I'm sorry, I skipped the line. And I also remember that when I was a kid, I gave Chala and Truma to a, to a Kayan. Now, he's only accepted to testify if he gave the Chala, not that his father was sending Chala through someone else. But if he actually gave the Chala, that means that the person's a Kayan and we accept it. The Kulan, all of these things that we accept the child if he was a guy when he was a kid meaning we'll accept the testimony of a 14 year old about what took place when he was 10 in the last 10 cases that we've been discussing but if this kid was a convert so when he was 10 he was a guy we will not accept it the Gemara says says I believe now, the last case that I just ran through quickly was what we had in the Mishnah, that a person is not test- uh, not able to testify that when he was a kid, um, some of the land was given over from A to B, because we're not going to take money based on the testimony of a child. The end of the Brisa is, Rabbi Yochum Broker disagrees. He says that they are believed. Now, the question is, what was Rabbi Yochum Broker referring to? Rabbi Yochum Broker, ahai, what was he referring to when Rabbi Yochum Broker was lenient? If it's the last case, meaning the last case, which is a child testifying that part of A's land was given over to B, which we said we don't accept it because we're not going to lose money based on the testimony of a child. But Rabbi Yochum Broker disagrees. That means Rabbi Yochum Broker holds that a, t- a child can testify about a monetary transfer? No way. No way. So rather, Arisha. Rather, what was Rabbi Yechem disagreeing about? He was disagreeing about the previous case. The case was that you have a 10-year-old who was not Jewish at the time, but he subsequently converted. So we said we do not accept his testimony because at the time he was a guy and we don't think that he put in the same effort into seeing what was going on. Rebekah disagrees. He says, no, he is accepted because eventually he converted. We think that it's possible at the time his intention was to convert because his intention was to convert. He focused like a Jewish child would focus. Mike Mifliki, what's the Machlokas about whether we accept the testimony of a guy who subsequently converted? Tanakam, meaning as a child. He was a guy as a child and then he converted, but he's testifying about something that took place when he was a guy. Tanakam, Savar, Tanakama feels it because he was a guy at the time, he's not focusing to the same extent that a Jew would focus. Rechambrecha disagrees. He says because eventually he converted, his intention was to convert, and therefore he did focus. My Ketzatza, we also said that he's tested, he's able to say that he remembers the Ketzatza taking place by the wedding of A and B. What's the Ketzatza? The Taner Ketzatza, what's the process of a Ketzatza? You have a brother who marries a woman he's not allowed to marry, let's say a Chayvei Lavin, whatever. So, um, the members of, of, of the family come who are unhappy about the wedding. At the wedding, they bring, or at the same time of wedding, they bring a barrel full of fruit. They go to the public square, the city square, and they break the barrel, and the fruit rolls out, because I guess that's the point, that by them, you know, like, is meant to protect 
the Jewish people and keep it inside. And by him marrying a woman, he's not allowed to marry a guy, whatever. He's breaking the barren, all the fruits rolling out. And they publicly say, our, our brothers, the Jewish people, listen. Our brother so-and-so married a woman so-and-so who's unfit. We don't want our children to marry their children. So take some fruit as a token so you'll remember. And no one will marry into their family. And that process is called a kitsatsa. So if a child testifies that he remembers a kitsatsa taking place, that means that that marriage was a problem. I will stop here. I'm probably going to uh, record tomorrow's daf later today because I'll be driving back to New York tomorrow, so it'll be easier for me. I'll, I'll record it later today.